Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Hi, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. And today, guys, we have a very special episode for you guys. We're going to be joined by DallasBasketball.com's own Grant Afseth. He also does a variety of other work at SB Nation. A very analytically driven guy. And, you know, he is just great in this interview. We get into an assortment of different things uh, in regards to the Mavericks and the, you know, implications of uh, what they could do, you know, potentially surrounding their, their pick, um, you know, what they could potentially do this off season, uh, the Kyrie Irving situation. Uh, we get into, you know, what kind of went wrong with the Christian Woods situation. Um, we talk a lot about the defensive woes with the Mavericks and we just talk uh, a lot of, you know, different uh, reasons as to why things happen schematically. Uh, Grant is one of the just more uber talented basketball minds. I think that uh, Jaron and I, you know, have had the uh, privilege to really converse with, and he he just gave some great insight into you know why uh, the Mavericks you know should have or maybe shouldn't have employed certain strategies, and uh, there were just a lot of comparative things that we talked about. Um, it was really a great podcast, one of our best, and and I think that you guys will really enjoy it. He he just gives some great insight into what this team might be doing, um, and and what their direction should be, as as well as his personal opinions as well. So there is just an assortment of different things to take away from this podcast. Very loaded episode. We went longer than uh, we intended to, so uh, we do apologize to Grant uh, regarding the time, but we'd love to have him back on again. Really fun interview, nonetheless. Uh, I'll stop boring you guys with the intro and we'll just go ahead and get straight into it. But nonetheless, uh, first, before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Spotify for Podcasters. Welcome back, guys. We are joined here by Grant Afseth of DallasBasketball.com. Our first interview here on the podcast. Um, I know, Grant, that you mentioned that you were open to going on to some podcasts on Twitter. Is this the first Mavs podcast that you've been on? Um, I've been on a couple of them, but um, yeah, not not a ton of them. This is probably like I think maybe my third, something like that. Yeah. All right. Well, we at least get the title of having the third podcast that Grant is on, so we'll we'll hold that as our uh, only sort of um, claim to fame so far. Uh, but nonetheless, we'll go ahead and just get straight into it, man. Um, so you've obviously been really up and coming. Um, as far as, you know, from a reporting and journalist aspect goes, uh, really since this season uh, has ensued, you've really took off. But, you know, you obviously were been covering the Mavs for a couple of years now and uh, the Pacers beforehand. So um, what exactly inspired you to cover the sport of basketball and just get into this uh, journalist and reporting stuff? Yeah, I think um, at first um, I was always interested in um, kind of analyzing basketball um, and then like the the format of choice that I kind of gravitated towards was just kind of throwing my thoughts into article format. Um, and I actually did that when I was in like uh, middle school. Um, and uh, 
Yeah, I didn't really like the two uh, markets that I followed the most was uh, Indiana sports because uh, I lived there until I was like third grade, um, and then Dallas sports. And I just felt like there wasn't really anybody doing that that much for uh, Indiana, so I figured yeah. I would. You know, and they were a better team at that point mm-hmm. um, for like when I was specifically doing it. Um, so I figured I would you know try that out, um, focus on them at first, um, and then that actually. Uh, it paid off because I ended up when I was at Arizona State, um, I think like in December of my freshman year, um, I actually uh, DM'd a, uh, a newspaper on Twitter that was like from the city I used to live in, uh, in Kokomo, Indiana. And they were like, um, yeah, sure. We'd love to have you on uh, a column. So then I kind of did that through college remotely, cover some road games, like when they went to Phoenix and L.A., um, and that was actually like the first sporting event I ever did in person oh, wow. was uh, in LA at Staples Center. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was kind of like how I started, and then gravitated eventually towards uh, Dallas because uh, I I lived most of my life in Dallas. Okay. Um, and then the opportunity opened up later down the road for sure. Yeah, we're definitely um, we're trying to sort of etch our way in that direction. So um, you definitely uh, served as an inspiration for us from that standpoint. Um, uh, you want to go for the next question, Jerry? Yeah. So I, I don't know, just from like a, I guess a fan point of view, like it kind of seems like you've joined sort of like the, the smaller mass media markets where, you know, you know, like you're, you're up and coming of course. And it seems like, I guess, like, uh, I guess like podcasts like us or, you know, fan accounts like us or whatever uh, sort of gravitate towards what you say and what your reporting is, I guess, just sort of like, I know that you kind of touched up on this a second ago, but like what sparked your style of that? Like, I, I don't know. I feel like at Dallas media, like there's more legacy based media in the sense of like, you know, Brad Townsend and everything like that. Uh, you know, just being 100% honest, like it kind of seems like, you know, I, I don't know how else to say it, but like, you're almost like the up and coming young guy. Uh, like a lot of people look up to you and really kind of inspired are, are, are inspired by what you're writing. Uh, so I guess just like what kind of inspired or what, what sparked your passion for that kind of style and what like invigorated your passion uh, for the game in the first place? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I always, uh, our basketball was always my uh, preferred sport. Um, so that kind of drew me to that. Uh, and then uh, just my style. Um, I think I always just like to uh, be more uh, kind of analytically driven, uh, whether it's like analyzing um, with the, with like statistics, numbers, yeah. like data, or, um, you know, I, I really like to watch a lot of, like, game film. Okay. Um, so, like, uh, you know, like, I actually, uh, you know, learn from some people, like, like as mentors, like you could say, who uh, coach, like, college basketball, who work with NBA players. Um, so, like, I, I've, I've helped some NBA players in the past as well, with, like, scouting reports, um, you know, how to guard certain matchups, uh, how to handle certain closeout assignments, um, improving, like what to focus on their off-season workouts, examples of things that could be improved. Um, so, like applying that into like actual like analytical writing has always been interesting to me, especially like come playoff time. Like yeah. seeing like the chess match with the like last year's playoffs was very fascinating. Like I I, I worked really hard to every game, like kind of do a deep dive into like what happened, what could come next, all that kind of stuff. And you know that was like a perfect situation um, because they were a team. Uh, you know, obviously, like, made it through the first two rounds, and yeah. then they weren't necessarily, like, a perfect team by any stretch, so they had to, like, overcome certain disadvantages, so uh, being able to kind of analyze how that was, like, transpiring um, 
that's like definitely something that would kind of fit like that style that, that I like to do for sure. Yeah, like I think it's definitely inspiring just from like, especially for me and Will, like we've grown up uh, and for both of us, like basketball has been our favorite sport ever since we were little kids. So I, I just think applying your knowledge of basketball to writing and like, I'm sure, you know, you can probably say the most for a lot of writers, but applying your knowledge to the sport to actually writing is honestly, it's pretty cool, especially reading some of your articles and, you know, seeing how knowledgeable you are about the topic. Yeah, um, I think that something that has sort of been lost in the sauce in this day and age uh, has definitely been the the tactics uh, that go behind the game. And uh, it's definitely been refreshing to, you know, you know, see a guy who will come out here and diagnose, you know, a, a drag dribble and four on three scenario um, versus, you know, just sticking to more narrative based writing, because there is a lot of that in today's today's game. Uh, so that's definitely uh, been something that I think a lot of Mavs fans have gravitated towards, to say the least. Um, next up, Grant, um, a lot has been made recently regarding the Mavericks catastrophic final stretch of the season, of course, uh, where they finished seven and 25 over the last 32 games. But I mean, it was really a microcosm, uh, you know, where these last two games, especially um, of those 32 games against the Spur uh, Spurs and Bulls, uh, you know, where they sat multiple key rotation players. And obviously the topic has become very divisive, not just within the uh, DFW um, sort of media, but as well as the uh, sort of NBA national media. And do you think the Mavs were justified uh, in their regard to, you know, do this whole tank job, quote unquote, and uh, what was your reaction to the uh, announcement of the NBA's formal in investigation over the matter? Yeah, I think there's there was justification in uh, the decision to do it. I think uh, I think a lot of the things that I was kind of uh, focused on around it is the risks associated with doing it. Uh, I, I think honestly, like if you own a team and or managing a team or whatever you want to say, uh, you know, you, if you have a judgment call to make, you know, that's your judgment call. Uh, but I definitely think like pros and cons, there's like uh, either side of the equation, like either choice, there's definitely like risks. So that's why I like, like, I felt like some people thought uh, at times I was getting a little negative. Uh, yeah. but it was like, like if I went through the history, like it's not the best way to analyze, obviously, yeah. like the last 10 picks to go 10th overall. But it's also right. like, like, it's good to have a refresher where it's like, mm -hmm. hey, like uh, maybe there's not always like like this great player that's, yeah. that's available at 10 or picked at 10. So it's like if you tank out. You know, you got to be, you got to, it's not to say that there's going to be a bad player that's taken, but it's mm -hmm. like, you got to hit that pick and it may be yeah. a little harder than some people uh, think. Cause people think like that, Oh, the top 10 pick, you know, Oh, we're good. But no, yeah. there's like work that goes, <laughs> goes involved uh, to capitalize on that pick. But as far yeah. as the investigation is concerned, um, you know, I think, uh, I think just like the way the comments were made before uh, the game, uh, you know, against the bulls uh, to sit players and all that stuff, like, I think you got to be a little more subtle with it. And then listing multiple players uh, like Christian Wood and Josh Green, especially like, you know, like a low 20 year old, like 23 year old uh, type of guy out for rest in a must win game. Like that's, that's some alarm bell types <laughs> type stuff. I feel yeah. like uh, for the NBA, like that's, that's a little more brazen than, uh, uh, you know, a lot of other situations where it would just be like, Oh, you know, sore right knee, uh, you know, just like, seven guys are going to be out with an injury right. it was a little more bold than like i think a lot of uh recent situations around the nba yeah no definitely i mean to your point about the draft i mean it can definitely be 
fool's gold, fool's gold really. I mean, throughout that whole lottery, we've seen countless guys, um, you know, be apparent, like surefire picks, you know, just not end up panning out. Uh, I mean, a guy that like, comes to mind, for instance, like, you know, like Chris Duarte on the, the Pacers, he kind of had, he fell off a little bit this year after, you know, a stronger rookie season. I mean, he was a older guy coming in and, um, you know, seemed as if he was going to be a sort of seamless plug and play coming off the bench. Uh, so, you know, nothing's a guarantee there. And, you know, as much as Mavs fans are optimistic, and I know we are optimistic about the um, potential to get a top 10 pick at this point, um, you know, we can't uh, be blinded by the fact that uh, the draft, um, while it is definitely um, something that, uh, you know, has a lot of research going into it, it also is somewhat of a crapshoot at the end of the day. Um, so um, other than that, you paid out of, uh, you know, your own pocket to go a lot of these away games this year. And uh, really during the latter half of the season, uh, you know, you've been covering games uh, all this year. Um, as well as the last, of course. And do you feel like there's been just kind of a stark difference in the vibes and morale of this team uh, comparable to the 2021-2022 team that, you know, you referenced you were uh, covering their playoff run and things of that nature? Um, or do you think that um, the Mavs uh, simply, you know, it was, you know, good product, uh, just bad results in terms of, uh, you know, the group of guys that they sort of put together, but the, the personalities wise, um, they, they all kind of fit seamlessly together still. Yeah, I think there was definitely a, uh, you know, a pretty uh, clear difference between last year's group and this year's group from a, uh, you know, locker room standpoint, I guess you could say, or a chemistry standpoint, because they, they'd been together. A lot of those key names have been together for like, you know, quite a bit of years or multiple years, if you will. Um, and I think that goes a long way. I think when you're taking some of those types of guys off that, you know, even like Jaden Hardy referenced, like Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, you know, he, he was around at last year's trade deadline. He's not like the best example, but Dorian, um, you know, he, he was around for quite a bit. He was an uh, instrumental teammate for uh, Luca as well. And, uh, you know, taking him off from even a locker room standpoint has a big impact. And then taking him off the defense where he's like kind of the glue that's holding everything together um you know even though they weren't fantastic obviously before the the trade itself this year but still like you know there's a lot of on the court off the court impacts that kind of go into uh kind of taking someone out of the equation in that regard um and i think uh you know i think Kyrie irving was a helpful uh, piece to have you know i think uh you know some people like national media not to focus too much on that stuff but i think uh you know there were some reports in recent years where it's like oh he didn't even talk to his teammates stuff like that when he was with the nets and like like that's, that's not reality. Um, you know, I think he was a helpful uh, presence. Uh, you know, Jaden Hardy, again, like, you know, uh, as I referenced, he, uh, you know, I talked to him in Philadelphia uh, before a game and he highlighted uh, Kyrie for being like, a, you know, someone that speaks up uh, and is vocal and like tries to help solve problems whenever things are going south uh, or just have been like trending negatively. Um, and then, he, you know, at, at the exit interview, um, he highlighted him again. Um, and, you know, you know, I think that goes a long way when, you know, a young player can kind of identify that. Uh, that's that's usually like a good sign, in my opinion, when uh, that stands out to them and they're kind of bringing that up. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I, I think that was helpful to have. But I think overall, they just didn't have enough continuity as yeah. a locker room and on the court. Uh, you know, the clutch time situations, uh, you know, at times, early, especially earlier 
uh, when Luca and Kyrie were sharing the floor, you, you know, obviously like they, they had some losses there where, uh, you know, they, they definitely were on the same page. Um, you know, I think, um, you know, that, that hurts, but then also when those guys are off the court, um, you know, like, uh, one, one's available, one's injured and then vice versa, almost <laughs> immediately after, uh, one came back, the other one was out. Yeah. Like that does not help at all. Uh, yeah. when you're trying to stay alive, uh, down the stretch with a team that, you know, you probably already need to patch quite a bit of holes and make some upgrades on, uh, for sure. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And I mean, that, especially after the trade deadline, I mean, there's what, like 30 or so odd games and there's just a lot of roster overhaul at that point. I mean, even if it's just two players, I mean, these are integral guys in the rotation, of course, uh, both starters. And, uh, you know, I don't think that there's anything bad with Kyrie from a cultural perspective. I definitely would tend to agree with you um, that that narrative has definitely kind of been severely overblown in my opinion. You know, there's obviously um, he's had his own sort of separate um, things that he's come under fire for since he's been in the NBA, but never have I felt like those have been, um, you know, synchronized with you know, his teammates or anything, you know, what to do with his leadership. Um, and I mean, yeah, like you said, ever since he's been on the, the Mavs from all signs point towards him being a, a good teammate and leader. So um, I definitely appreciate that insight. Um, what do you got next, Aaron? Yeah, so I guess just, you know, given the Mavericks positioning in the bottom echelon of teams, uh, to be exact, they have the 10th worst record and, you know, projected the 10th overall pick. Uh, they've they've subsequently, like, given themselves much better odds to retain that top 10 pick, especially after the tank job or whatever you want to call it, uh, in, or against Chicago and the San Antonio Spurs. But, um, you know, that's, of course, due to the KP trade with New York and everything like that, uh, you know, I guess from an asset standpoint with a team that's kind of, you know, really just, I guess, like, what's the best way to put it? Like, just kind of dehydrated of assets. They're, they're really lacking assets. What does a top 10 pick, I guess, do for a team like this? You know, I know that you wrote an article pretty recently about uh, the possibility of trading the 10th uh, overall pick, assuming they get it after the May 16th lottery time. Uh, so I guess, you know, just getting your view, like, what, what does an asset like the top 10 pick do uh, to a team like this that is, pretty, you know, deprived of, of, you know, especially draft lottery assets. Yeah. I think, I think you could probably get you in a trade, uh, probably like a core piece uh, that you can kind of integrate um, and then kind of set a tone uh, for starting to, to kind of patch things up. You know, like they've highlighted rim protection. I like Mark Cuban's comments, um, you know, in particular, um, he, he highlighted the need for more length on defense as well. Um, so I think like if you have a 10th overall pick, maybe that could get you someone like a Miles Turner yeah. Um, or, you know, like a shop locker like that. Um, you know, I think that would go a long way to kind of raise the floor of the defense overall. Um, that makes it a lot easier for everyone else on the perimeter to kind of stay home on assignments. Uh, and then they can better execute running uh, off the line in those situations as well. Um, so I think that would probably be like, you know, something, a possibility that could open up, whether it's, you know, exactly Miles Turner or not. That's just, you know, an example of a, the type of skill set um, that could probably be of uh, of use uh, with a 10th pick trade um, or, or whatever pick it is. Um, I do think, um, you know, I, I think that the challenge that you do have that kind of pops up when you keep the pick, um, you can only move, like you can use, use pick swaps in the years that, um, you know, you don't necessarily um, – like, like that are kind of like tied up due to, uh, you know, restrictions with the rules, but you can only move the 2027 pick. 
So I think you'd have limited chips um, at your disposal because um, you have to also move a negative value contract most likely with the 10 pick to get a difference making talent. And then you also have to uh, probably do the same with that future pick if you are going to just go aggressive with all the all those uh, like chips, if you will. But then the complication with that as well is that it's like kind of the order of operations. The draft happening before free agency, if you don't have a, a complete idea of what Kyrie Irving is going to do, yeah. um, like if you patch all these things before you have that mm-hmm. conversation with him and then he leaves – I guess you could still facilitate sign and trades and then I'm getting into a lot of uh, layers of yeah. that. Uh, but yeah, you know, like uh, then, then it becomes a complicated matter where it's like, do we really put all our chips in before we talk to Kyrie? And then it's like, what opportunities do you miss out on? So I think it'll be very, I guess that's why I'm also not yeah. running a front office uh, and I'm yeah. talking on podcasts instead, but yeah, it's like going to be a very interesting sort of order of operations. I feel like regardless of the outcome with the picks. Yeah, yeah I mean, so uh, I, would, right, I, I was just going to say, I was like, do you see the Mavericks taking a, a more passive route and possibly, you know, trading back? Like, I know center and especially shot blocking is a, a much needed need uh, among this team. So I know that there's names like Derek Lively. Uh, and I feel like I forget the other kid's name, but I feel like he's from Duke or something. Uh, but yeah, like names like Derek Lively, like I know that they're projected in the 20s, but like, do you see them any world where the Mavericks trade back possibly? Like I said, like going a more passive route. Um, I think honestly, I see more so just outright moving the pick um, okay. with one of their contracts, mostly because it's like they're, the amount of spending they're already going to be obligated to, especially if you like give Kyrie a max or near max. I feel like they're probably going to have to be more, um, I guess you could say purposeful uh, with the, the spending that they do have uh, at some of those other spots. So I think the using the pick to upgrade talent and better like allocate spending would probably be the uh, most like probable route I would, I would imagine, especially, and it doesn't hurt when you have like reporters also say, also yeah. saying it too, you know, like, uh, so like putting all that together, I feel like that makes, you know, it makes the most sense and uh, you know, something I could expect uh, or foresee happening for sure. No, I, I totally tend to agree with what you said. I just, you know, figured out to bear the question, but Will, I guess do you want to ask the next question? Yeah. Um, yeah. Before I even like segue, into the next question, um, just to kind of piggyback off of that. I mean, there's obviously, I think, uh, a lot of premonitions in terms of uh, Christian Woods' uh, potential departure after how this season sort of uh, played out um, with both sides never, uh, I guess, really coming in in sync in terms of, you know, Mavericks management and coaching staff and Christian Wood or however you want to um, view that. And, I mean, if him and Kyrie were to leave – um, and even, you know, I know a lot of people reference the Mavericks abundance of cap space they could potentially be looking at. I mean, it's not necessarily the most loaded free agent class. And, you know, I know in this day and age, people tend to, you know, gravitate, oh, you know, if you have money, you know, you'll find a way to spend it. And, you know, especially with the new CBA and all that sort of stuff. But um, I, I definitely do um, tend to agree with Grant from the perspective that, you know, if you do select at 10 or even trading back to, you know, even if that means getting, you know, future draft capital, uh, which could, you know, increase your arsenal in future trades, uh, you know, those first round picks, uh, especially as the salary cap and all these TV deals go through every year. Um, I mean, they, they get marginally uh, a little bit more expensive every year. I, I don't know exactly what the 10th pick is, but I mean, that's another nine, $10 million, maybe a shade under, I guess that you're, 
uh, allocating toward your cap sheet. So at that point, you know, if you're, you know, versus just swapping contracts uh, for a team that's already in the luxury tax, uh, especially with this, uh, the new CBA, uh, having that threshold with the, um, I, what is it, the non-taxpayer MLE uh, not yeah, gonna not being applicable yeah. anymore at a at a once you're above the uh, I believe second apron or something like yeah. that. I mean stuff like that. Um, it, it definitely points towards that being a smarter direction. So um, I would definitely tend to agree with you um, from that standpoint. I mean just talking about um, Christian Wood. You know the Mavericks traded a first round pick in last year's draft, uh, pick number twenty six uh, that ended up being Wendell Moore uh, for Christian Wood. You know along with of course Boban Marjanovic, Marquise Chris, Trey Burke. And um, bluffing on the last, Sterling Brown, and uh, in the 2022 NBA draft, and uh, of course, you know they did this with the uh, notion that Christian would be an unrestricted free agent this year. But as I alluded to, his time in Dallas has kind of been riddled with an inconsistent role, uh, been a bit rocky in terms of you know the whole starting coming off the bench complex. What do you attribute to um, just the rocky season that Christian Wood has had, and do you think that he should have saw increased minutes? Yeah, I think he should have saw increased minutes. I think uh, even just from a managerial standpoint, um, when you make a big move like Kyrie Irving midseason trade, um, he's set to hit free agency, and then Christian Wood set to hit free agency. I feel like they didn't try all three of those players on the court nearly enough when you include Luca in that grouping. You know, injuries didn't help, but I think when they did have the opportunities, I felt like they were too reluctant. Um, you know, especially when you just kind of break it down from, you know, beyond like, just like the the asset standpoint, there there were starts to games where um, you know teams would blitz Luca. He he's not necessarily a guy that, that gets around double teams uh, with speed. He gives the ball up in four on three, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like you end up having situations where Kyrie Irving's kind of watching uh, and maybe attacking a closeout or flashing a little bit. But it's like it's mostly neutralizing those two talents. So I feel like when some of the commentary was kind of like oh, well, why would you have Christian Wood at the five to start when you have Kyrie and Luca on the court early on? Well, Kyrie is mostly playing an off-ball, like kind of picking his spots uh, role, and Luca's getting doubled pretty often. So I feel like, you know, you need more than two talented offensive players. I think you need to have or could have used uh, Christian Wood to kind of, you know, break those four-on-three situations and keep the defense honest. And I feel like, honestly, it just shows that there was a talent deficit with the team where you're kind of facing out that many or that few of talented offensive players and you're relying on offense and you also have a bad defense as a team overall. Like that just that's a very flawed roster construction, in my opinion, uh, where you're basically like spreading your offense thin and you're also not getting stops. And it's like, no wonder they're on the outside <laughs> looking at the fucking Yeah, street. exactly. <laughs> when you kind of think of it from like a, uh, you know, when you kind of peel the layers back or whatever you want to call it for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, what would you say to the fan? Because I, I think that the whole Christian Wood situation has been something that's been pretty divisive throughout Mavs Twitter this year. Uh, what would you say? Because, um, I mean, I, I kind of have like conflicting – uh, thoughts about this personally but what would you say to the fan that would say you know he's simply incapable of you know being uh you know a drop coverage you know or even a, a weak side uh rim protector do you think that the Mavs were just never able to fully optimize his fit on defense do you think that they maybe should defer to some of those two big lineups with Maxi, or do you think that the roster just simply wasn't really built to 
you know, optimize his defensive skill set because we saw at times in the regular season um, where he honestly looked comfortable, uh, you know, being able to guard guards. I, I can reflect back to that, um, you know, game versus Golden State uh, where he uh, got switched on to Stephen Curry on the uh, on the on the wing, and uh, he was able to hold his ground and you know get a block off a pretty quick three attempt. Uh, there's just been a sort of a, you know, we see these flashes of kind of defensive potential, but then we also see his lack of size, um, obviously against, you know, those bigger back to the basket centers, uh, that, that tends to get punished at times. And we, we've seen him be kind of lackadaisical uh, on rotations and things of that nature. Uh, do you think that the, the Mavs were just never really able to find his fit defensively or were, was he kind of, uh, just kind of doing this to himself by, you know, his own defensive deficiencies? Uh, so, uh, you know, thinking back, uh, you know, about Christian Wood um, before he made his Mavericks debut, if you think about um, what he showed with the Rockets, I think um, some of the takeaways I had looking at, uh, you know, the, the game film uh, from his, uh, you know, I just looked through most of his possessions and minutes on the floor um, before, you know, he, he basically uh, played for the Mavericks. Um I think he was pretty underrated at switching with the Rockets. Um, they did more of that than the Mavericks did. Um, I think, you know, he isn't necessarily going to be that guy who's going to protect the rim in a drop coverage situation. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, even the Mavericks saw that in head-to-head matchups where, you know, an example that kind of stood out to me when I watched on, uh, on you know, the film was Jalen Brunson. You know, he's a very physical, uh, you know, driving threat. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he um, – had a couple of instances last season where he just kind of played through Christian Wood. Um, like he uh, did a veer step and just kind of protect the ball, uh, used like contact and then uh, create an advantage at the rim for himself. Um, you know, I think uh, that was very evident on the, the video. Um, so I feel like the, you know, use of drop coverage, um, you know, when he was the sole five, uh, probably wasn't the best use of his, uh, you know, his, like athletic or physical profile, whatever you want to say. Um, but I remember, you know, when he shared the floor with Maxi uh, early in the season, there was some good results when, uh, you know, they had him not be the anchor. They had him kind of focus on kind of being like making that closeout uh, mm-hmm. to the corner if the ball started popping around or, uh, you know, kind of being that weak side, you know, rotate over and, uh, you know, kind of, you know, protect the rim a little bit as that, uh, you know, help defender. Um, I think uh, that was probably early on the best results, but I feel like they didn't do enough of the switching and really like kind of explore that and work through some things in that regard if there needs to be. I just felt like there was enough of a sample where like, you know, just throughout, uh, you know, previous seasons where it's like you're kind of putting a six foot nine, uh, you know, kind of thinner frame guy in a bad spot if you're funneling things to him by running shooters off the line and having him like deep drop and ball screens and expecting like a, like a very good result. I think he gave an honest effort in the, yeah. you know, that department in terms of like, you know, focusing on his defense. Um, Cause he worked with Sean Sweeney early after the trade throughout the summer. Uh, you know, he kind of, he kind of poured into it as well. Like, you know, just overall, I felt like, uh, uh, you know, like some, sometimes, you know, players will miss rotations, things of that nature. Um so, you know, sometimes it may not like necessarily have been like a, like a consistent result, uh, but that's also part of the issue I felt like with the approach is that if you looked at the last year's playoff run, 
the center position was an issue, uh, you know, like with Dwight Powell, like the teams didn't guard him in the half court when they switched and he didn't really have much of an application outside of, you know, like the deep, like, uh, like kind of like going against drop coverage, catching lobs. He, he didn't really have much of a threat beyond that. And he's not a rim protector. He struggled on the glass. So I felt like, you know, the ceiling's limited in that regard. So mm-hmm. um, I felt like they probably should have utilized Christian Wood more, work through things. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. But also kind of taking that like weird approach that they did this year. Um, they're not even in the plane. So it's like, yeah, like even if it didn't work going the other route, I felt like it would have been better to exhaust all your options with soon to be free agents, a new talent. Yeah. Um, see what you can get like offensively, like kind of what we did alluded to earlier with, uh, you know, like the four on threes. I just felt like it was a weird um, use of talents or mis- or like underutilization of talents or, or, you know, trying things, experimentation. And I just feel like, um, you know, obviously like, I don't feel like it would make sense for him to come back uh, with, you know, kind of the inconsistent role from just a uh, career management standpoint. I feel like he had have better opportunities elsewhere um, because it's like, it's hard for him to necessarily look at the situation in my opinion and be like, if I commit to this for, you know, however many years, I know what I'm going to get. And I feel like this is going to work. Cause like, I, yeah. I felt like overall it was a very odd situation. I'm rambling, but it was very, I felt like it was an yeah. odd situation from yeah. start to finish. No. Yeah. And I mean, the Mavericks defense, you know, particularly in that, that playoff run was, you know, predicated upon, Lots of communication, um, just very stringent on their rotations. We saw with that team, and you know, to see just a very much of a stark difference this year. You lose Dorian at the trade deadline. You're not necessarily putting him in a position to succeed uh, with a lot of you know the Mavericks' lack of length on the wing. Um, there's a lot of single dribble blowbys um, where he's kind of um, just basically left up at the graveyard um, with somebody coming downhill at him. Um, as you alluded to, you know, six nine, thinner frame guy. Uh, you know, that this is something that we've been hammering all season. Uh, but then, you know, conversely, uh, with the whole, you know, playing him with a, another big that can at least um, sort of pseudo guard the rim and Maxi, if we want to label him as a rim protector, even though you know that's we could you can kind of attach a few labels to him as a defender. Um, it, it just was kind of malpractice but then conversely it's like you know maxi was out for all this time you know it's like what else they didn't maybe didn't even have the personnel to do that so it's a it's a definitely a loaded situation but something that i wanted to uh dip into for sure what do you have uh next year yeah so i mean just you know keeping on the topic of defense like through injuries with maxi and you know dorian throughout majority of that first half of the season like uh, i guess just like you know what has been the root of the Mavericks defensive problems? Cause you know, last year during, especially during the playoff run, like the, the team really, you know, centered around a team-based defense in the sense of communication and also just rotational uh, sound defense. Like, I, I guess just, you know, I want to get your take, like what, what has been the root problem of the season or throughout this whole entire season? Um, and, and, you know, what would you attribute most to that Mavericks defensive issues, whether it was, you know, maybe Reggie Bullock not coming on through, uh, especially through the first half of the season, uh, you know, the trade of Dorian, like what, what do you think was the real sort of issue, I guess, that this Mavericks team held uh, on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I think honestly, a big part of it was um, kind of believing that there was a, a lot of sustainability uh, with what worked last year. 
I think running shooters off the line and making extra effort after extra effort after extra effort with like, you know, like on a string communication, I felt like there is a lot of of, uh, room for error uh, with that happening and exhaustion. Uh, You know, I think a lot of the wings like or not a lot of the wings because they basically play two of them (laughs) Uh, and and, uh, uh, Reggie, I feel like they play so many minutes. I I don't know how, how taxing that ended up being the following season. But they're also not young guys in the sense of like, you know, like they're not like a Josh Green who's like, you know, 23, 22. Um, So I felt like, you know, even even uh, in January, uh, Dorian had a groin injury um, that he came back from. And, you know, he wasn't necessarily the same physically. He was still working his way back. He had to come back and, uh, you know, cover up some things defensively that I don't feel like he necessarily was in him to necessarily cover up. And, you know, I think obviously players just get hurt organically, whatever you know, you can say, but um, you know, who knows how much of the overall load of uh, that type of style may have had, um, you know, on him uh, and Reggie. Um, and then just like, no, have not having a rim protector um, to anchor things to kind of make it easier and take some pressure off of everyone involved makes that harder, but then also just not having a game changing talent on defense in general, um, I feel like especially after uh, moving uh, Dorian because uh, he was probably the closest thing to that because um, he did a lot of little things. I wouldn't say he was elite at like, you know, a particular area. I think he was very good at, at uh, quite a few things. Um, but I think like if you just look at what makes a great defense or some of the attributes or skill sets, whatever you want to say, um, you you ideally want to have a rim protector. You want to have like kind of a bigger frame, quick, uh, you know, agile like sort of four uh, that can like make those low man rotations. I can switch like Draymond Green. That would be the perfect, uh, you know, four um, just to kind of visualize that. Um, and then you also would like to have, you know, maybe like a backcourt, like uh, Lou Dort stopper on the ball, Marcus mm-hmm. Smart, something like that. You know, they can kind of guard multiple positions and like really pester somebody, whether they're like quicker or bigger framed. Um, but the Mavericks don't really have any of those things at all. And I feel like if you're going to talk about defense, um, you know, it's important to kind of like kind of view it from a similar lens as offense. Like you need game changing right. offensive talents to kind of set the tone. Like what like like going forward, it's like like if you're going to build the foundation of a defense, what kind of is those foundational like like player types, um, like like who's going to fill those roles? And then also like not having those, I feel like is a big part of that decline. Um, because that just makes it easier for everyone. There's more consistency, just as there is with offense. You're not relying on unsustainable stuff. Um, so I just felt like there was fundamentally flawed, um, just kind of personnel in that standpoint, where it's like there's a limited ceiling. It requires it's taxing physically to execute the style they used last year. And then post trade with the like the post Kyrie trade period, they just pushed a lot of buttons. And I feel like between Maxi coming off of an injury. Um, and just not having those other talents, I feel like, you know, you could push all the buttons you want, but, you know, if there's nothing's going to work for you with the button pushing, you're just basically pushing buttons for, to push buttons and you're going to just not be in the plan, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think that that's a perfect follow-up uh, to the question. Um, you know, I, I figured we might as well ask one Jason Kidd question because especially as of recently, like it kind of seems like his leadership or his, you know, job you know responsibility has been under question especially the last few months of the season um you know he's been under a dim light by some this year taking his team to of course the western conference finals as a head coach 
and then subsequently missing the playoffs. Do you think there's anything he could have done from a schematic uh, schematic perspective or any change in rotations that he could have made to ensure this team right now? Um, or, you know, did you feel like this team was pretty much doomed from the start, uh, just given the sort of, I guess, restrictions placed on this roster? Because to be fair, this roster, I don't think was built for a long playoff run. Yeah, I definitely think before I, uh, you know, get into the the coaching part, the roster was definitely a, a challenge roster. I think, yeah. uh, you know, when uh, you start the season, uh, you know, you lose Jalen Brunson and you don't have a legitimate co-star. Um, I think Luke getting overtaxed early on um, and then not having like that top, uh, like sort of like top 10 defense, um, that definitely is a bad combination of factors. And then you're relying a lot on spot up shooting um, with guys like Reggie Bullock struggling from the start. Um, you know, he later, later uh, you know, got hot from three um, and finished pretty well. But, you know, like like that that's an unsustainable approach. Um and then it kind of, you know, overtaxes Luca for the rest of the season. And then, you know, towards March and April, then you start to see where it's like, you know, people like me write articles like Luca needs to participate on defense and, uh, you know, stuff like that. And showing examples of like against the Warriors where, you know, he's not getting out to shooters, they're picking on him in actions and stuff like that. Um, so I feel like like that alone was challenging, but also that's also why you start players uh, and, and involve players like Christian Wood more. So then you don't have those burdens on Luca offensively and you kind of run a more like, you know, I guess you could say structured offense or just, you know, have him take a playoff or two where you just let Christian Wood finish the play instead of kind of creating and generating so much of the offense um, for everybody else. Um, that's kind of where I had an issue with uh, kind of the approach from the lineup standpoint is that you know, I think people focus so much on the shortcomings of individual players like, uh, you know, Christian Wood with the defense, because then, like, you kind of get lost on the fact that, like, if Luke is overtaxed by the end of the season anyways, none of this matters. Yeah. Like, that, like you know, like, you, if the defense is awful and Luca, uh, you know, like, like, and Luca's fresher, at least he can maybe carry the team a little bit better. And, you know, you make that midseason move and you're kind of having the firepower to maybe play that style. I just feel like with Kyrie also having injuries, uh, like that foot injury himself, and then Luca also then being worn down, you didn't have that threat to necessarily just carry everything, um, you know, regardless of the other circumstances. And that alone is like a tough thing when you're competing against other teams that have top players. And, uh, you know, even teams that don't have top players, like Char the Charlotte Hornets, like yeah. losing twice in a row – you know, like they're a hungry team. They want to spoil your season. They want to you know, put you in the dirt, like uh, Dennis Smith Jr. said. Um, you know, like uh, I, I just feel like uh, you know when you can't really have you know your star's best foot forward at that point. Um, you know, on a consistent basis, your defense is bad, and you're relying a lot on one-dimensional players around those all those things in between. That's kind of a, a tough set of circumstances to kind of overcome. Yeah, I, I think, you know, me and Will throughout this, pretty much the whole season of this podcast, like we've definitely reiterated the fact that this team is just too one-dimensional uh, compared to other teams or at least other contenders. So I, I definitely agree with your standpoint there. Um, I, I'd be intrigued to see the the sort of numbers or at least on-court production between uh, Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic, and Christian Wood, if they, you know, even produced any positive numbers. Like I, I know that me and Will, we don't really have access to those kind of numbers. So 
I yeah, mean, you don't. can find a lot of the spe- second spectrum stuff on NBA.com, but yeah, like some of the yeah stuff. Yeah, I mean, we can't really divulge into. Um, but yeah, I mean, specifically, yeah, with that trio, um, I definitely thought that the Mavericks uh, did did themselves a disservice, as Grant alluded to earlier in the podcast, by not um, just playing them all three on the court together um, at the same time. Um, you know, obviously, we saw you know a lot of we saw the pick and roll actions, uh, the Spain pick and roll actions that the Mavericks ran with Luka Doncic and Christian Wood um, early on in the season. And I mean, they were honestly really successful just because of the, you know, gravity Luka, you know, obviously warrants on traps and things of that nature. Um, you know, having another gravitational factor, um, in Kyrie that, you know, you can, you know, run off staggers, um, and zoom action things, uh, things of that nature. Um, you know, if, if you're able to sort of harness that, uh, that's a lot of, uh, moving parts, um, you know, just up above the break, you know, up above the uh, top of the key that a defense has to account for. And I mean, I, I just think that there would have been a lot of opportunities for, you know, Christian Wood to get a little bit more slippage. Um, and, you know, he honestly could have just been spoon fed some points in the dunker spot. Um, but, they, you know, they, they really just didn't defer to those lineups um, as much as, uh, you know, we, we kind of talked about there. Um, but, you know, next up, um, and we'll kind of disregard this question because we kind of just answered this regarding uh, the Mavericks, you know, just their how, how they played stylistically, um, you know, before the season with Jason Kidd talking about, uh, you know, how they were going to divert away from, you know, this heavy shot diet of three-pointers, and then they subsequently ended up, you know, still really adhering to that uh, despite those statements uh, earlier in the season. Uh, so I thought, I thought we definitely hit on that for sure. Um, but, you know, one of the big haymakers, Kyrie Irving is set to become an unrestricted free agent after the Mavericks trade for him, of course. Um, just schematically speaking, you know, how did the ebb and flow of the offense change uh, once Kyrie was uh, instilled here in Dallas? Um, because, you know, Obviously, there were some, you know, moments where, like we alluded to, you know, Luca and Kyrie, you know, may have not, uh, their on-court potential together may have not been fully harnessed, uh, you know, especially in some of those late-game scenarios. But then, you know, we did see a lot of uh, guard screens for each other. Um, we did see, um, particularly, you know, towards the end of the season, um, the amount of off-ball actions that the Mavericks ran for Kyrie. Um, and route to getting him open. And, uh, you know, we've seen games like that Philadelphia game where, uh, I mean, 80, comp- 80 points, you know, 40 points from each player, uh, where it's just um, just a sort of insurmountable offensive load um, at the point of attack. What um, So, you know, just given that, how do you think uh, Kyrie um, really changed the dynamic of the Mavericks offense? And uh, if, if he does come back, uh, you know, and they have adequate talent surrounding him. Do you, do you really think that they could uh, furbish something special there with uh, him and Luca? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think if you kind of patch up some of the defensive uh, concerns, like especially with rim protection, um, and then you you don't throw out so many. Like obviously, I don't know how. Uh, that's a very challenging thing. This is a very limited uh, team yeah. in that regard uh, for what they have to work with. But if you have a rim protector and you have better like size profiles at the four and the three, um, you're not necessarily facing a disadvantage 
Because, like, for example, like, like I, I, I know I, like, kind of pick random things and then kind of go on a rant. But, like, <laughs> Tim Hardaway Jr. guarding Jimmy Butler and then not having a oh, yeah. Center, stuff like that is, like, how are you going to put out a productive defense? Yeah. Like, that's not going to work. Yeah. And that, I feel like I, like, you can have as much offensive firepower as you want, but that stuff's not necessarily – like, you're not going to go on a deep playoff run and be able, like, to give opponents your best shot for mm. – you know, a seven game series. Uh, it makes the chess match a lot harder when you don't really have extra moves to kind of get mm-hmm. to um, in that regard. So, you know, I just, I just think uh, they could do something special um, if they patch that stuff up. I think, uh, I think the big messaging um, stuff, you know, that I think is important to kind of get to is, uh, you know, when Kyrie came in, he made it very clear that he's an add on to what they're already doing as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have a training camp to kind of install things in the offense. Right. Um, and then also another part of it is that he's an unselfish player who's going to set off ball screens. He's going to set ball screens. Like, like I think like a lot of the national TV stuff kind of like, like drove me nuts a little bit because I hear like, like as if it's, you know, James Harden and Chris Paul adjusting to each other. Yeah. When in reality, Kyrie Irving's play with tons of uh, high level players, you know, like a guy you might have know. Uh, LeBron James, and then like uh, you know, uh, some people may have heard of that guy, uh, and then like Kevin Durant, all kinds of uh, you know players like that. Like he's used to picking his spots, um, and then becoming that Mr. Fourth Quarter, if you will, like as a closer, um, and then kind of like you know capitalizing on the moment there. Uh, so I feel like the the focus on like oh can these two fit together? It's not about can these two fit together. It's can the, the Mavericks have the necessary pieces around those two guys um uh, to win at a higher level with the defense and then having less one-dimensional players that take away from what makes those two guys special um because you know kind of going back to the not to go back to it too much but just the christian woods standpoint of just not necessarily him as an individual talent but just the general idea of having another offensive threat that's going to be a screener um you would have to be very cognizant about how you're switching with the like Kyrie irving luca and a screener that's also a scoring threat against a switch. I feel like that kind of wasn't necessarily utilized as much. And if, you know, if you want to just say, like, I, obviously I, I don't think any of us know exactly definitive. So what's going to happen this off season for anybody, but, you know, just assuming that if Christian Wood were to, to go, he's not necessarily the name we're going to use anymore, but having someone who can kind of be that problem who's involved in like the high pick and rolls or even just like the screening actions in general that teams have to be like, okay, well, we can't really afford to switch this with, you know, those two players involved or, you know, whatever combination you want to say. I feel like, you know, in general, like that could be something very special um, if you have like that type of uh, like threat. Like if you're having Dwight Powell set screens, like not to single out someone or just, you know, like, like Reggie Bullock involved in the action, even on the ghost screen like the other team's not necessarily going to be like, okay, like we're really in a problem here after he like, you know, disengages from this action. Uh, like they're going to hone in on the one guy that they really want to hone in on. Yeah. Um, you, you want to create more of those problems where you're like really like having to just give something up and then you're just going to feast on it and then make them make decisions throughout a game. Having too many one dimensional talents on both sides of the ball is like, it's definitely a, uh, like a thing that limits potential, but you know, long story short, if they just patch those things up, make some upgrades around them. I think they can definitely be special. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And, you know, I like what you said earlier uh, where you talked about the Mavericks not necessarily having any of these uh, sort of gaudy or 
you know, game changing defensive players. You look at uh, some of the hallmarks of, you know, the upper echelon of teams in this league. And, you know, we're looking at, you know, multiple guys in a starting lineup, for instance, uh, on the Celtics that, um, you know, can defend uh, multiple positions. Uh, excellent point of attack defenders, you know, with a guy like Time Lord when he's fully healthy to, you know, be that weak side uh, help defender as well as um, really be able to switch on to any, anybody, you know, one through five. And, you know, I'm not saying that the Mavericks have to have um, just the, uh, the the full defensive arsenal out here to be able to throw it at everybody. And, you know, they don't have to have the most, uh, you know, just optimized defensive lineup in the NBA, but, I mean, at least just getting one of those guys um, to, you know, just veer off some of the um, deficiencies defensively with how um, explosive this offense could be at times, especially um, if they're really able to, you know, harness um, a third guy in the lineup with Luca and Kyrie. Uh, yeah, you could definitely be looking at uh, something special here. And I mean, I kind of want to use that as a, a segue point. Because uh, you obviously covered the Pacers, and I know we kind of talked, touched up on this a little bit, um, but just give me the uh, more of a fun question. But just give me the the sales pitch for Miles Turner, because um, I mean, you know, this is a guy who I think was, you know, definitely seen as, you know, this sort of drop coverage uh, rim protector who's uh, you know a, a floor stretcher and was kind of riddled by injuries. Uh, but this past season, uh, you know in tandem with uh, Tyrese Halliburton in the pick and roll. This is a guy who's uh, really came into his own in terms of, uh, you know, his abilities in the short role. He's worked on that push shot a little bit um, and just became more of a general lob threat. Um, and he, he just has a, a little more of a diversive offensive game that he sort of developed here. How, um, how could a guy like that, just given your time when you uh, covered him in Indiana, um, shift, you know, the, the playing field for the Mavericks, if they had somebody like that, uh, to uh, to back the back line. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, he's definitely one of the more dynamic uh, rim protectors in the league. I think, uh, I, honestly, I think his ability to switch is underrated by a lot. I agree, uh, yeah. Against the Boston Celtics, um, you know, with Kyrie Irving in the series, um, he had quite a few possessions where, whether it was Kyrie, whether it was Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, where he was switching and holding, not only holding his own, like with, you know, top of the key sort of ISO possessions, he was tracking them to the rim and either forcing misses or just completely pinning them off the glass. Um, and Kyrie even said in that series um, that I wrote about, you know, my eyes lit up when Miles Turner went to the bench because I knew I could get to the rim. Um, so, like, that type of talent is, you know, exactly would fit the description of what you would want, like someone who's going to make you second guess about attacking or at least make you be really, like, uh, you know, technical in your approach. Um, you don't have that issue with the, with the Mavericks. Like, I've actually talked to a couple players – uh, you know, recent like opponent, not recent opponents, but when I did talk to them, they were recent opponents, um, like earlier in the season, they said that there was like no presence inside, like, like regardless of who's at the five, there's just no presence and they don't get in the ball enough. Um, you know, with the on-ball defenders, all that kind of stuff. So basically they're just a, a soft defense is essentially what, what they were described as at the point of attack and in the middle. And so you can't really like if, if the message is like that or the, the thought for the other team is that's how they perceive you and they're, you're not going to be able to overcome it because you, you kind of are that, that type of defense, mm -hmm. like that's a real problem. And I feel like Miles Turner at least lets you kind of like have more margin for error. He'll clean up mistakes because yeah. he, he had some seasons where he was covering up for Darren Collison uh, later in his career, Boyan Bogdanovich. 
And, you know, Victor Oladipo, uh, you know, he had an all-NBA uh, defensive – or all-defensive season uh, or, you know, had all-defensive uh, talent. A lot of his impact wasn't necessarily about staying in front of guys. It was, like, flying around with his wingspan and, like, you know, making plays in that regard. Mm-hmm. So he uh, he would get funneled uh, – or funnel his assignment to Miles Turner a lot as well. Um, so he's used to having, like, underwhelming uh, personnel. But in that same, you know, thought – a guy at the four that was playing alongside him was Thaddeus Young. So they had the four and the five that was very versatile with a dynamic rim protector. And that, that was enough to be like the third defensive rating that, that season that, you know, they, they had those guys and they had like pretty underwhelming, you know, perimeter defenders, especially off the bench. Like, you know, Corey Joseph was there um, and he, he was good at, you know, getting into the ball. But, like, they didn't really have, like, any sort of, like, really high-level perimeter defensive guys, like a like, like what you would see now with, like, a Lou Dort or Marcus Smart yeah. um, really just getting into the ball and, like, being a problem uh, with size. Uh, so I think that's kind of a – you know, the NBA has changed a little bit since then, but that's there's still similarities with the way the game's played now where I think that that kind of, um, you know, logical approach or foundation would be the way to start is to have the, the five and the four – where you can protect the rim, switch, and make low man rotations. That covers up a lot of problems. And then you would still, even like ideally in a perfect world, you would have more perimeter size at the three. And then you would just live with whatever you get from Luca and Kyrie. Right. Uh, you're getting enough on the other end. And, uh, you know, if you do have enough talent offensively from that three through five after prioritizing that defensive approach um, or identity, then you could maybe not overtax uh, Luke and Kyrie, and they can, you know, as Jason Kill likes to say, participate more on defense. Uh, like, I, I think Kyrie's a little underrated defensively. Um, so I don't want, like, I think people just kind of like lump him in because he's a star. Is like, right, no, he's a terrible defender. Like, saying, oh, they downgraded from Spencer Dinway. Like, no, that's that didn't happen. So I had to at least say that. I had to throw that in there. But uh, yeah, like, I think uh, all, all that stuff I feel like is something to kind of think about um, yeah. mm-hmm. going forward. Yeah, and I mean, uh, just to speak to Kyrie's defense down the stretch of the year, um, yeah, I was – admittedly, I hadn't watched a ton of, you know, his defensive tape beforehand, but I, I definitely abided by the notion that um, he was a upgrade over Spencer at times. Uh, you know, Spencer b- was able to use his length and, you know, kind of freelance, and, you know, he was decent uh, in terms of, you know, being able to uh, pick passing lanes sometimes. Um, but you know, he did concede, um, a lot of blow buys, uh, Kyrie, he really does get into the grill. A, you know, a lot of no, not boxing out and yeah. watching the ball go up. Yes. And, uh, I actually was just watching, uh, for an article, I was actually just watching a film of, uh, the last game that Dorian, uh, uh, played defensively. Um, I saw Spencer Dinwiddie, like he should have had the size profile, the whole post-ups. It's like Andrew Wiggins oh, yeah. and it's like. He still get, gets scored on in that regard. He has the length, he has the size. It's yeah. Like, like that. Like I've kind of feel like the size thing is a fool's gold uh, sort of a benefit in a sense. Like yeah. I'm, I'm sure it benefits like with as you said with the length in mm-hmm. the passing lanes, jumping, jumping, you know, for steals. But still, it's like there was functional elements that should have been there that just yeah. weren't there uh, too often for sure. No. Yeah. And I mean, I, I always kind of like to denote uh, some of those guys that are like getting beat off of blow buys like that just like the inability to flip their hips and it's funny because spencer is such a you know sort of just uh i mean he, he's all over the place but but in a certain 
a certain kind of like good way on offense, you know, uh, with, you know, you know, his vast array of moves he kind of uses to draw fouls and, um, you know, those ticky tacky plays at the rim. He just, you know, he's fairly savvy, um, especially with inside 10 feet. Um, so I, I always find it funny when guys like that, um, I, I, I would honestly have to maybe, I don't know if it's just an effort thing or what, but they just have this like weird inability to kind of flip their hips um, and, um, you know, the, the reactions. We kind of see it with the white pal at times too, you know, even though he's more of a sort of uber athletic five, he, he'll get beat, you know, at the point of attack too when he gets switched on to, to wings and things like that. So, um, you know, that, that definitely is um, eye-opening to say the least. Um, but otherwise, um, we're going to give you a couple uh, little knockoff questions here. Uh, before we end this thing and wrap this up, we did not mean to keep you this long. Um, but oh, we, we, we have a tendency to uh, overrun on our podcast because we just <laughs> well, I ramble a lot. So yeah, I know uh, it's okay. We uh, <laughs> we we typically get uh, too analytical in a uh, in, in a sense uh, in some of these games. We had to hold ourselves back in the uh, the Bulls and Spurs game and just go a little bit more big picture. I was like, Jaron, like uh, you know, I don't know how much we need to talk about the on court schematics of you know mckinley wright and aj lawson and stuff out here you <laughs> well know, we, i went with the i went with the uh uh condescending approach uh, yeah. for the game with gifs and saying meaningful all caps basketball you know like uh that's that was kind of my thought on that <laughs> yeah i mean I, I will say as much as though um that um aj lawson is definitely a guy that i've actually kind of pined for just to at least get a crack at things um all year so to see him uh, be able to go out on a, on a good note was, uh, definitely, um, definitely happy for the guy. I, he's a guy that I hope to return. Um, me and Jaren's, uh, have a little bit of a goal to kind of go to summer league this year. So I, I would really kind of, it'd be cool to get to see him if he's able to come back with the team, but you know, they obviously, uh, didn't bring him back after the first summer league go around, you know, and at that position, nope, nothing's guaranteed. Um, but otherwise, um, what are your uh, future plans in terms of, you know, your some of the stuff that you might uh, end up covering with the team this year, some, anything that you want to shout out in terms of things that, you know, you're working on or um, you're, um, you know, progressing towards and you just opening up and your sort of array of coverage. And then um, after that, um, give me, cause I know you posed this question on Twitter. So I kind of wanted to throw it back to you. If you had the opportunity uh, to get to have a full film, breakdown with one Mavericks player and then just one NBA player in general um, of your choice. You know, they don't get to, they don't have to choose you. You get to choose whoever it is. Who would it be? Yeah, I think I would probably pick um, Kyrie Irving uh, probably for both of those parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think uh, like, like I, I, part of it is because I also know what I would get. Like I felt like he would be very, you know, like engaging. Yeah. Um, there's some guys where it's like, like Luca, for example, um like i feel like he's a, you know, obviously a very like high level basketball mind but mm -hmm. i don't know if you'd really want to watch yeah. well i mean I, to, to, to lucas credit um i've always just been fascinated at the at the prospect of like when luca gets older how he may be able to sort of uh just sift through some of these things because you know he's definitely not the most talkative guy in the world uh, but i do think there's something to the effect of the language bar barrier just being a little bit inhibiting in terms of how intricate he gets in some of those uh post-game interviews too so I, I feel like one day when he's older and you know he went on the jj reddick podcast that one time i think you know maybe one day we'll finally get that uh that film breakdown from him one day 
Yeah, that, that would be uh that would definitely be fun to do. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think part of it is also like uh, uh, this room full of uh, reporters. Uh, they're they're annoying, so I don't know if I want to oh, be yeah. in, in a room with one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's safe to say that you know, me and Will are hopefully soon to be joining that room full of annoying reporters. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, you know, real quick, just again another fun question: like, who's your pick for MVP? Uh, and then, you know, now that the Mavericks aren't out or are officially out of the uh, 2023 NBA playoffs, who are you, what team, I guess, are you piggybacking on and deciding to root for, I guess, probably the best way to answer that. Yeah, actually, um, I, I think I'm going to be paying the most attention probably to the Knicks, uh, mostly yeah. because of uh, that's the only team I have like access to to write about on the Fan Nation sites. Um, so I'll probably be writing about them and focusing on them a lot. Um, you know, uh, I, I guess I get to cover Jalen Brunson in the playoffs. So I guess that we have that. Have you had access uh, to the Knicks all season or this, this was like a recent development? Uh, well, actually, uh, it's mostly like, I have access to all the Texas teams uh, and the Atlanta Magic and the New York Knicks. Sometimes it's very random. You know, like that that stuff. <laughs> it's kind of like a group of, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very random. Like yeah. the group of, uh, of, uh, people, uh, that like, we're kind of, uh, like a part of as like, a writing group. Uh, some people like manager sites. Um, like I could write if I want to on those. Uh, I, I choose to focus like really heavily on the Mavericks. Um, but since they're out, it's like, you know, like yeah. I, I might as well do something. So it's like, you know, <laughs> yeah, my focus uh, for sure. But as far as the MVP, uh, you know, race is kind of concerned. I think, uh, you know, I think Jokic's candidacy probably tailed off uh, recently. Um, you know, I think people have always been kind of like, they don't want to do the historic like three in a row. So they right. like, no, that's the, the voter fatigue. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people are afraid to be like, Oh, the first player since Larry Bird to win like three in a row or whatever it is, whatever the, uh, the, like, uh, scare, the scare, uh, line is, uh, on, like sports center and all that stuff. Um, <laughs> like, Oh, you'd be the first, like, Oh, yeah. I don't want to be associated with that. Uh, cause he doesn't win a title. I think, I think he's given them that excuse now with like kind of the, the tail off um, towards the end of the season. I think he's deserving. I think there's like three people who are probably deserving yeah. regardless. But um, if I had to pick, um, you know, I think probably would go, if I had a vote, I would probably go with Giannis is probably my pick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah I think, uh, I think, I think all three of those guys, like, you know, Joel being the third guy. Yeah. Um, I think they're all deserving, um, but I would probably pick Giannis. Um, you know, just my thought for sure. Yeah, that that I think that the voter fatigue sets in with him too because of his two, you know, wins already. But um, you know, just from I, I don't know. I, I feel like he just has he affects the game um, in a sort of multifaceted layer um, that I think that affects winning. I think just a little bit more than those guys. That's I, if I had to vote, I would go with him. But I, I definitely think. As far as it's trending, it'll probably end up going to um, Embiid. Um, but other than that, Grant, we have really enjoyed having you on. I know I tried to, you know, let you plug and play your stuff, um, but a little preemptively, I guess. So if you want to kind of plug anything that you got going on at uh, Fan Nation or DallasBasketball.com or anything you got um, coming up this summer, uh, definitely, you know, the floor is yours. Um, and we really enjoyed having you on. It was a blessing and a great interview. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think uh, some of the stuff that I'll be doing is uh, like like after I kind of uh, recover a little bit from uh, the uh, end of the season, I'll probably do a lot of deep dives. Um, like why did the defense, um, you know, kind of 
like go from being so effective last year to uh, being ineffective this year. Um, and then kind of just sort through like, what did we see from Kyrie and Luca on the court together? Um, you know, kind of like pro- probably a lot of like off season ideas, you know, I always find like, you know, trade ideas to be interesting and like, you know, things like that when it kind of gets uh, to that point, maybe analyze draft prospects as well, like deep dives on them. Um, I probably won't go as like full, uh, full uh, steam ahead on that one because, you know, after seeing reports of uh, them potentially trading uh, mm-hmm. the pick, I yeah. feel like that would totally be a, a thing that I do where uh, I analyze these guys and then the pick's not even made. Yeah, that's going to happen like, to us too. So that's okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, <laughs> like I got, I'm going to do it regardless, yeah. but it's like, it'll probably be for like just general basketball fans uh, overall, as opposed to, uh, you know, necessarily be my top, top priority uh, considering all, you know, all things considered. But yeah, I think just overall, like a lot of deep dives. And then uh, I'm going to try to make it out to summer league, you know, as you guys said as well, because um, Jaden Hardy mentioned that he'll yeah. probably be playing. Um, so that'll make it a little more intriguing as well, uh, even if they trade the pick. Um, and then, you know, because of the fan nation things as well uh, that I mentioned, like those sites, hopefully I'll be able to, you know, chip in with the Rockets and Spurs with, you know, how high of a draft pick those teams will probably have. Um, you know, hope, hopefully I get, I get to cover uh, Wembenyama a little bit uh yeah. out there in vegas um the ping pong balls go my way mm-hmm. um and then um yeah just probably like luca international uh play as well i have uh, i have access to the video uh for fiba so um i'm gonna really uh you know break down for people who can't watch like really yeah. do like deep dives and all that stuff mm-hmm. game by game so yeah, that's probably like a majority of uh of what i'll do is just you know that type of stuff yeah no i'm definitely looking forward to that because I know Jaren and I specifically, we were hard pressed to be able to watch those FIBA games over the summer last year. They were just, uh, especially as they were overseas, they were just really, you know, uh, kind of obstructive in terms of uh, the timing and everything like that. So to, you know, get that in that sort of format, I I think is going to be really cool. Um, But other than that, uh, like I said, really appreciate having you on. Um, yeah, I got I got one more major question. Uh, um, Grant, will you will you be attending uh, Bullock Island during the summer off season? Wow. Uh, Bullock Island. I don't know if my budget uh, <laughs> uh, will allow me uh, to head down to Bullock Island, but uh, you know, I feel like if I did have a budget to go to Bullock Island, I'd probably go to because uh, 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 international games. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's probably what I would do instead. Yeah. I respect that. I respect I that. I respect that. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I, I think Bullock Island, um, maybe uh, Reggie can get into some, you know, sort of deep meditation and uh, sort of revitalize his, his legs a little bit, and he'll come back as, you know, one of the best screen navigators and three-point shooters next season. So it, I maybe – After I think, the first two months, he'll be – after, yeah, yeah. after the first two months, yeah. If we could just send him to Bullock Island for the first two months – um, and then bring him back. That would honestly be Hopefully awesome. I don't have to save my uh, tweet templates for everyone involved uh, where I show the lowest three-point percentage among like a certain volume. <laughs> oh, I don't like yeah. to be negative. <laughs> so hopefully I don't have to use bring those, break those out uh, to start next season. Yeah, I know. Uh, that, that's a, that's, that's definitely the sort of a, the trend with Reggie at this point, but uh, otherwise, of course, you guys can follow uh, Grant on Twitter at, Grant Asseth and see all his stuff at DallasBasketball.com, of course, and Fan Nation. Uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter at Mainstream underscore Maz if you guys haven't. Uh, also, make sure to follow the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get um, your podcasts. We're on almost every 
listening platform. Um, shout out to the Step Back Mass podcast. I know that you're uh, you and Dalton, of course, um, you know, are over there at DallasBasketball.com. They they got some good stuff too. So subscribe to all the Mass podcasts. Uh, everybody is. Uh, we've definitely uh, been covering uh, a sort of a de- decrepit team over the last. A uh, few weeks, and uh, at this point, it, it's definitely uh, exuberating to just be able to uh, sort of dewind and uh, talk shop about, you know, the off season and stuff like that. Even though we do wish we would be in the playoffs right now, for all being honest, but it is what it is. So I uh, yeah, be doing two thousand word uh, breakdowns on uh, playoff matchups. I almost feel like I'm missing out. <laughs> yeah, like, no, yeah, yeah. I saw some yeah. post uh, that I follow was like, oh, I'm two thousand words into the Kings defense. Uh, and he covers the Warriors. I was like, "Damn! I wish I, I wish I wish that was me." <laughs> yeah, I have to hope for summer league now. That, that, that's yeah. how like how how much I love the day to day of like yeah. uh, or got used to it in the last little while. I was like, "I'm looking for I'm hoping for summer league." Like, what is yeah. wrong? Yeah, <laughs> and I can only I can only I think I can speak for Jane and myself that like I can only wish to get to that uh, that sort of level of grind and drive, man, because you. You definitely uh, been on one this season, um, you know, just like uh, Reggie, you know, really since the turn of the new year. So um, we, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, like I said, make sure to uh, follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you guys already haven't. And uh, if you guys are listening on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And uh, for those of you commenting, uh, comment. Would you like to see Grant back again? Did, did he pass the litmus test of the, of the mainstream masters? <laughs> yeah. For maybe if, me uh, off-season trades too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never know. So uh, we, I don't have much value, but it's okay. <laughs> well, um, you know, do you have more value than Davis Bertans at the moment is the, the real pressing question. So uh, Twitter, 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 GM, not Twitter coaches poll, but Twitter GM's poll. I'll, I'll post that. Okay. All right. Yeah, so <laughs> All right. Uh, but other than that, uh, this is Will Miller, Jaron Boslow, and Grant Asseth, Mainstream Mass Podcast. We will see you guys in the next one. Signing out.